We're uh, not going to continue at this point through Thessalonians. Luis will pick that up in not next week, but the following week. Um, but I just wanted to note, I, I say with some embarrassment, when Luis pointed out at the beginning of Thessalonians uh, in verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3, the trilogy is there, faith, hope, and love. And I missed it. When we were studying, I missed it. And then when he preached on it, I thought, sure enough, there it is. And it, it, it's relevant because I preached earlier this year about hope, and, and, and then I preached about faith, so this morning I'm going to finish it off with love. And, and so there it is. Um, as a reminder, we talked about hope. Hope was that the elevation of the, the well, what we basically said is your disappointments, your discouragements, your dissatisfaction, all those things that'll come across your life generally are a response to misplaced hope. The idea that somehow God's gonna make this time on this earth a, a, a revisit to the garden. He's gonna establish some kind of paradise here on earth. That's not going to happen. That's not his goal, that's not his intent. And then when you and I start praying and, and pursuing the American dream or whatever it is we want to call it that is that satisfaction here on the earth, we're going to end up disappointed. So Peter warns us, he says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Paul says to the Colossians, right, we're praying for you because of your hope which is in heaven. We're hopeful, and it's not hopeful like a hope this happens, but we're hopeful knowing that our future in heaven is what we're looking forward to, where there's no pain, no sin, no deceit. Um, everything that's pleasurable here will be meaningless compared to what we will experience in heaven. It's just something that's not very well explained for us to appreciate, but that's where we're going. We don't belong here, and that's what we wanted to remind ourselves. We put our hope on the future in, in Christ in heaven. And then we talked about faith, and faith was that tool we used because, again, we're living in a world that's fallen, dominated by sinners, and the prince of the power of the air, and... <laughs> Difficulties are going to be there. We're going to struggle through things. And so faith is that capacity God gives us to understand that the things that he, that he is God and that everything he says about himself are true in any circumstance. So you see a difficult circumstance and you're saying, God, how can this be good? How can this be something that you would receive? How, can, how come you don't change this? And you struggle with those kinds of prayers, but faith reminds you he's good. He knows what he's doing. He's paying attention, he's involved, and he has a plan, and we're participating in that. And that faith sustains us and gives us the confidence that, that we're not in charge, things aren't dependent upon us, they're dependent upon God. And so we need that faith to sustain us through things. And so now we're gonna look at love, and love is the method and the motive behind what we do while we're here as aliens and strangers. If you're turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 because I mentioned love, I would have done the same, but I'm gonna ask you to turn to John chapter 13 instead, the Gospel of John chapter 13. What I'd like us to do this, this morning is 
to look at, there's a commandment in there that we'll see that Jesus said to love the way that Jesus loved. And so we're gonna look at how Jesus loved on this the last night before he was crucified. He's spending this time with his disciples and this is the night that he, they're gonna scatter and leave him alone. But before that happens, he's going to spend an intimate evening with them and he's going to demonstrate love to them. And I'm going, we wanna look at this and see how God loves, how Jesus loved them so that we can emulate that activity and love the way that Jesus loves. There's ways that Jesus loves in, these, in that night that we can't do. He promised to send them a helper. Well, we can't do that. We can't send the Holy Spirit. We can tell people how it is the Holy Spirit comes and, and who he is, but we can't send the Holy Spirit. He says, my peace I give to you. Well, we can't give peace. We can tell you what the Bible says about peace, the peace with God, the peace of God, but we can't give peace. That's something Jesus does. But there are things that Jesus did that we can emulate, and so those are the ones I wanna look at so that we can be faithful in uh, loving the way that Jesus loved. In the first verses there, it says that Jesus knew that he was gonna depart out of this world, and then it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to them. So we're looking at how he loved them. This is the end of this ministry before, until he resurrects and ministers to them again. But here at this time, this was the end. And so we're seeing how did he love them in the end. He loved them the whole time. All the activity of Christ was love, obviously. He's, he is God and God is love. But in this night, we're looking at some particulars. And let's start off with the beginning where it says, during the supper, he was eating with them. He dined with them. That was a big deal. In that culture, it was a much bigger deal than it is today. If you took people from that time and you took them to the mall, to the food court, they would freak out. All these people here eating together, and most of them don't even know each other. And even the ones sitting at the same table are looking at their phone and not even talking to each other. That's not what this is. Jesus is talking about this is dining with the disciples. It's an intimate thing. It's not the menu, it's not the setting, it's the interaction that mattered. You are important to me. This is how he demonstrated love to them. He had this time of, of a meal with them where they mattered and he heard them and they heard him. So that interaction is a, a demonstration of how Jesus loved and you and I know that we need to have people at our dinner table with us more often. You know that God has put that on your heart and it's something that's a way that God loves. And, and, and sometimes we don't do it because we're concerned about the menu and we're concerned about the setting. That's not the concern. The concern is can you spend time with somebody and set aside all those distractions and focus on the person that's sitting there with you. What are your heart aches? What are your dreams? What are the things that concern you? How can we be involved in uh, each other's sanctification. That's the activity that Jesus was doing and how he loved during the supper. And then he did something very strange. He washed their feet. This, is, this freaked them out. It had to have freaked them out. I mean, this is the God of creation of all glory, and he is getting on the floor and washing their feet. And, and he didn't just wash one disciple's feet. He washed them all. This is touching water, soap, washing their feet, each one of them, demonstrating love to them. And you wonder, well, was the, the goal to get their feet clean? No, he, he graciously tells us what he was doing. He asked them the question, do you know what I've done to you? And of course, they don't answer. He says, 
you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. But if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example, that's the point. I gave you an example that you all should do as I did to you. He had said earlier, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. And I'm sure they heard that, and that would have been a good lesson for them to remember. But I'm certain they never forgot, and still to this day don't forget, the Lord washing their feet. The creator of heaven and earth, humiliating himself. That's what that was. It was a humiliating act to wash their feet, to give them an example. If you're going to be my servants, you need to be prepared to, at the cost of your pride, to the cost of everything, to be able and willing to be humiliated in order to teach others more about who Christ is. This is, if I'm the Lord and the teacher do this, then you need to be able to do this as well. So he's teaching them. That was the point. And that's how Jesus loved. He taught them how to be more like Christ. And that's the center of this whole conversation, what we're talking about. We're talking about sanctification. Without sanctification, it says in Hebrews, no one will see the Lord. Sanctification, let me see. Sanctification is that part of salvation where we are still here on the planet becoming more like Christ. And Jesus is involved in the sanctification of the disciples. He's paying attention to that, and that's his demonstration of how he loved them. And it goes on. He says, he says that to them, he gives them a command in verse 34, chapter 13, 34. He says, love one another even as I have loved you. So we're studying how he loved so that we can love one another that way. This is the command that he gave. And then in chapter 14, he says, I prepare a place for you. So this is that hope section where he says, look, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. And I'll come and get you and take you to where I'm going to be. He's reminding them that this is going to be work. This is going to be messy. This is going to cost you. But this is where we're going to end up. I'm going to prepare prepare a place for you. I personally am going to prepare a place for you. Do you imagine it's going to be perfect? Yeah, I think so. You know, because Jesus knows who you are and he's preparing a place for you. So he's lifting their eyes to pay attention. And that's what we do when we love one another. If I see you too consumed about the things of this world and about the things that are going around you and the circumstances that are bringing you down and your hope isn't in heaven, to love you, I need to remind you, lift your eyes. Remember, this, this is not our home. We're aliens and strangers here. This is going to be a mess. It'll always be a mess. We're going to be to a place that is a glorious place. And so if I remind you of that, when your eyes are dropped, I'm loving you as Jesus loved the disciples in that way. And, and then we move into, there are other things in these chapters, but I'm just picking off some of them. In John 15, he encourages or directs them to focus on abiding in Christ. That's what sanctification looks like. I'm growing in Christ because I'm abiding in Christ. Sanctification is promised as part of salvation, right? And, and Jesus said, or, uh, Paul said that uh, God will perfect, finish what he started in Philippians 1, 6, right? And so that's going to happen. But Jesus is not going to be one who sits around and hopes for you to become sanctified or hopes for me to become He's actively participating in the sanctification of these men. And that's the idea that you and I would be actively participating in the sanctification of each other. Are you abiding in Christ? 
if you're abiding in Christ, if you're centered on Christ, if you're, these words, abiding in Christ, being filled with the Spirit, being indwelt by the Word of God, these are the same thing. It's walking in the conscious awareness of who God is, who I am in God, and what he would have me to do, and how I would minister in his name. That's what he's calling us to do as we abide in Christ. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. These are the truths that he's giving them, nurturing them to be more like Christ. And then he says, Verse 13, these things I have spoken to you, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. The Lord of heaven loves us. His concern is our joy. He wants us to be joyous Christians abiding in him. He doesn't base our joy on our circumstances for this un, under the sun experiences that we're dealing with. It's our relationship with him, knowing that I am received by him, that I am loved by him, that I am acceptable to him, that my sins have been set aside by what he did. Knowing that truth and walking and being loved by him is joyful. In the, it says in the Psalm that in his presence is fullness of joy. Abiding him in a place where joy is. Christians who are not joyful are not effective for the purposes of God. What's the point? Why would anyone pursue that life? When we're paying attention to what God has done and what God is doing, there's no other response than joy. We are victors already, no matter what happens here. We are victors over all things, and joy is the response, and Jesus reminds them, I'm right, if you want joy, you need to pay attention to these things that I have spoken to you. And then he gives them a command in verse 14. Remember the other command? Love one another even as I loved you. So in verse 14 of chapter 15, he gives another command. This is my command, that you love one another. In verse 17, he gives a command. This is my command, that you love one another. Jesus hasn't forgotten that he mentioned this. He's not repeating himself like, for no purpose. He's repeating himself because we need to hear it. We need to hear it again and again and again. As preachers, we'll never... We'll, I, when the kids used to get in the car and we asked them, what was Sunday school about? They'd always say, Jesus. Well, yeah, that's what it's going to be about. <laughs> if you had Sunday school, it's going to be about Jesus. These truths are, are not something that we can stop hearing. We need to hear them over and over again. Remind me of the truths that matter. Loving one another. This is, he tells them, he commands them. I, this I command you, this I command you, this. He repeats himself to love one another, just as I have loved you. That is the expression of sanctification will be seen in the way that we love one another. And so if I'm loving you, I'm encouraging you in that direction to love one another, to participate in loving one another. That's the act of love that Jesus demonstrates here as he commands them to love one another. In verse 16, he says a phrase, until now. Verse 16, verse 24, I mean chapter 16, verse 24 says, until now, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. 
So now we pray in Jesus' name. It's a common phrase. You hear it all the time. It comes too common. Sometimes it just feels like it's that phrase that you're listening for, so now you can open your eyes. He said in Jesus' name, okay, it must be done. I think myself and, and, and you, we, we need to be more careful. We might even want to put it in Jesus' name in the beginning of the prayer, because this is why I'm coming, in Jesus' name. It's a love act from Christ to remind us to be mindful of him when we pray. But it goes beyond that. In Colossians, it says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Perhaps we need to include in Jesus' name and everything. This morning, I'm having breakfast in Jesus' name. You know, this evening, I'm going to take, this afternoon, I might take a nap in Jesus' name. This afternoon, I may come to the memberships class in Jesus' name. Or I may go play a round of golf in Jesus' name. If you can't do it in Jesus' name, then you shouldn't do it. I'm going to look at this website in Jesus' name. It, it isn't a far-fetched. To, if, if what the apostle said, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, then put it in the prayer and let your activities demonstrate that you're being faithful to that truth. That's how God loves. He says, I want you to pay attention that your activities, all of your activities are done in my name. Until now you haven't. But now... This is a possibility, and that's what he's calling for them to do. And then when we go to chapter 17, we see him praying for the disciples, and that's the activity of those who love one another. We pray for one another. And you know, brothers and sisters, this is a, a discussion about love, and you do love. I've experienced your love for me and for my family. I've seen you love one another, and you're good at it. But as it says in Thessalonians, as you have done, now excel even more. And so praying for one another is important. And, and we'll look at this, even this quickly to see how Jesus prayed for them. He prayed in verse 11 that, you would, that the Father would keep them in your name. There you go again. You know, it's abiding in Christ, staying in his name. It must be a big point because he keeps making it. I pray that you would keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. That's his prayer. That's how he prays for us as a people that we would remain in his name. He prays these things, or he says these things I speak so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Again, Jesus repeating himself in this one night and bringing up this issue again and saying, though the, the reason these things are happening, the reason I'm saying these things, the reason I'm praying these things is so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. If you are, as a Christian, not experiencing the joy of the Lord, there is an issue. And Jesus, in loving you, would bring you to a place where the joy is. And it's in the presence of the living God. And then in verse 15, 14, he says, I gave them your word. That's loving when we give the word of God. And that's not just from this pulpit preaching to you as a congregation and giving you the word. That's, as we were talking in our FLGs, giving the word to one another, knowing the word of God, and, and, and living and talking the word of God and sharing the word of God with one another. You see someone going through a certain circumstance and that verse comes to mind that's help, been helpful to you, let them know, here's that verse. Let's look at it together. Let's pray about it. This is giving them the word of God. That's love. 
What are, what are you going to give? The word of God is better than roses, better than chocolate. Give the word of God. If you don't have it, you can't give it. So there's a desire to know it and to grow in it. But, and then he gave, I gave them your word. And that's what Jesus did. That's how he demonstrated love. He also prayed that God would protect them from the evil one. And we need to pray that for one another, for our families, for our little ones, for ourselves, that God would protect. There is an evil one in the world. And we need protection from him. And we need to pay attention to the fact that he will deceive us and mislead us and lead us out of Jesus' name so that we're walking and paying attention to things that don't matter to God and, and, and wasting our time and his. That's what happens when we get distracted and misled by the evil one. So he prays, I don't, don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. And then he prays, as we're saying, this whole discussion, he sums it up, sanctify them. That's his prayer. Sanctify them. In the truth, your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Sanctify them. That's the goal, that's what he's praying for, that they would be sanctified. And then lastly in this uh, night, he prays that they would all be one. One with each other, one with God, one with the Trinity. This unity would happen and that's Jesus' prayer for the unity of our congregation, united with each other and united with Christ. So this is just some of the examples of the things of the way that Jesus loved, but the point that I'm trying to make as you look at it is his focus was their sanctification. That's how he was loving. My attention to you as I'm going to love you is your sanctification. Sanctification is that word that we use in the middle of salvation. Remember we have salvation which is um, justification, sanctification, and glorification. It's all together, it's a package deal, but it works differently. And so sanctification is what we're talking together today about as a church, and, and we'll finish that discussion. But before that, I wanna mention justification for anyone who's here who may not understand what I mean by that, and that is justification is what happens at the beginning of salvation where God establishes a relationship with you that didn't exist before. In 1977, I was 19 years old, and I thought that I was an acceptable human citizen on the planet, better than I was bad, and that God, if he judged me, would save me. That was not true. I was not acceptable. And in 1977, in November of that year, God made me aware of my sinfulness. And once I knew about my sinfulness, I was prepared to be saved. If you are aware of your sinfulness and you haven't made a decision for Christ, if you are aware that you are sinful, you are not holy before God. That's something God is doing. People don't come to a conclusion about their own sinfulness. That's something God does. So God's working in your spirit to tell you, yeah, your sins are real, and you will be judged by them. And, and, and some people think, well, I'll take my chances. I'm a pretty decent person. I don't do much evil things. I have pretty good conversations. I give to charities, and, and I'll take my chances. The Bible warns you not to take your chances. In John, Jesus, John chapter three, Jesus says, those who do not believe have been judged already. It's a done deal. And they were rejected because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's the sin that condemns, not believing in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's what's necessary for justification to occur. So if I know that I am sinful, the Spirit of God is causing me to know my own sinfulness, then I know that I can't do anything about it, but God gives me the gospel, the good news, the truth that I can take your sins away from you. They don't disappear, 
No sins ever disappear. The sins are taken from you and put on Christ, and he dies. The wrath of God is put upon him because of my sin. And the wrath of God would be put upon him for your sin if you turn to him and receive the forgiveness that he offers. So I'm aware that I'm sinful and I'm aware that I can't fix it, but I'm also aware of the good news that Jesus said, if you come to me and ask me to forgive you for your sins, I'll take them from you and I'll give you my righteousness and I'll justify you and you will be one with God. You will be called by my name. You will be a child of the living God. That's justification. And if you haven't done that, that's something you need to do. That's your priority. Nothing matters more than that. And if you Need more information about that? Talk to me after. Talk to any of the pastors. Talk to any of the members. Are you a member of First Bilingual? Because they can tell you what it means to be justified. Sanctification is while we're here, justified, you're ready for heaven. As soon as you're justified, you're ready for heaven. You're qualified. No sins. Sanctification is while we're here, we need to be busy about the Lord's work. So he's conforming us to the image of Christ. He's making us more like Jesus. That's what the activity is. So that we'll be useful in the furtherance of the kingdom of God. That's the purpose behind it. And so that's why it's so important. And why we as a congregation need to participate in doing this. This is done in a church environment. It's not, if you are calling yourself justified and, and yet you aren't part of a church body, you go to church regularly but you don't participate and, and you're not joined with a church body, then there's no scriptures for you. You're not defined in the Bible. Everyone who comes to faith in the scriptures comes to the church, the local church in the scriptures. That's how they're addressed. These letters are addressed to people in the local church and how they function within those parameters. That's why we, we need to be in that place. It's described for, me, for us in Ephesians. Look, Ephesians chapter 4. And there is a passage there that helps us to understand how this love is expressed through the congregation in the church context. If you are attending here and you are not a member, I really encourage you to come and find out what membership is all about. Um, We explain the biblical concept of membership in the uh, time together, and we go through how it is reflected in the scriptures and then how we apply that to here uh, to us here at First Bilingual Baptist Church and so it's really good information it's enjoyable time and so I encourage you to come back at two o'clock and hear that information Ephesians chapter 4 is telling us that God gave teachers and apostles and etc. This, this hierarchy in the church to, to minister. And he says at verse 12, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. There is a church environment here that is designed to bring about maturity in Christ. That's that sanctification. And it's, there's, none, there's nobody you've ever encountered, they're done being sanctified. <laughs> they're a mature man in Christ and that's it. No, we're always, always, always being sanctified. Always growing in Christ until we go to be with him in heaven. Glorification. Until then, sanctification is the ongoing activity. And so we need to be involved in each other's sanctification. That's the difference that I'm 
hoping that as you go away from this, you will think about the fact that you are, you are going to be sanctified in a more effective way the more you walk in Christ, the more you pay attention to Christ, but that you and I are not only responsible for the sanctification of ourselves and how we relate to Christ, but as a body of believers, I'm responsible for your sanctification and you're responsible for mine. We need to pay attention. Otherwise, we're not loving one another. Jesus loved by doing this, by pursuing sanctification for those who he was ministering to. The disciples. And so love was demonstrated in a involvement in each other's sanctification. So the apostle goes on and he says, as a result, we, talking about church members, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves of doctrine and carried about, I'm sorry, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what, according to what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. This, this, this growth is a product of proper doctrine, not being thrown around by false doctrine. And, and, and it says, not being fooled by the trickery of men or craftiness in deceitful scheming. I'll confess to you, the deceitful schemer sometimes is me, right? I rationalize a reason for me to stay comfortable, to choose the easy way, to not pursue diligently the things that God tells me to pursue diligently. And I'll figure out a way to rationalize a, a, a more comfortable path. And I'm deceitfully scheming against myself. And so he's, I'm warned in the scriptures to pay attention to this and that I'm not only warned to pay attention to this, but you're encouraged to speak to me about the truth of right doctrine. Look at it, what it says. But speaking the truth in love, that's not conversational speech like he, he tells us in the same book that let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is edifying for the moment or that that we have to be gracious in our speaking to one another, speak truth and, and, and don't lie to one another. Those are those conversational things. This speaking the truth is speaking the doctrinal truth. Speaking the doctrinal truth to one another. That's one of those things that we try to uh, create a conduit to make that happen in our FLGs, that we're speaking doctrinal truth to one another. But it's not just limited to that. You need to know doctrine. The, the church is offering classes that increase your knowledge of doctrine so that you can share doctrine with one another. If you see a brother and sister that's walking in a deceited way, they've been deceived, um, there's an opportunity for you to speak to one another in love, speak truthful doctrine to one another in love. That's what the encouragement is. So you're speaking to me and I'm speaking to you in that regard so that we'll grow up. That's what sanctification is. Grow up in all aspects into him, into Christ. Abide in me, who is the head, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. According to the proper working of each individual part. A church body, I, I always like the example of the, of the yacht racing. Have you seen that? 
when they're those guys that are racing yachts out on the ocean and they're all thin guys, right? Muscular thin guys. If they're gonna race, they don't want anyone heavy on their boat, right? <laughs> so they're thin muscular guys and they're all busy. Do you ever see that? There's never, buddy, never anyone just sitting there going, what a nice ride. They'd throw them off the boat. They're all busy doing something because to make the boat go faster and it's a bevy of activity and they respond and they work and they do that. Everybody has a job and they're all participating. No passengers in a yacht race. There's no passengers in a church. A church body is designed each part doing that which they're supposed to be doing according to the proper working of each individual part. We all have a role. We all have a role. And some of us, you know, our roles change over time. Things that we do will be different than we've done in the past. As we get older, some of the things we used to do is, I, <laughs> these palm trees need to be tri trimmed again. There was a time where I might climb that tree and trim it. That's not gonna happen. I'm gonna pay some professionals to come and cut those trees. <laughs> too, that's not the way, way that God will use me now. He'll use me differently. And you are the same way. Your health may inhibit or prohibit you from doing the things that you would hope to do as a minister of Christ, but that's not going to excuse you. You can still do things. I think one of the most neglected parts of this activity is prayer, that we're not praying for each other enough. And so those of you who are limited in your physical abilities can still pray. And that's maybe why you're in that situation, so that you can pray. Prayer is the difference in success and what God is doing. And it's so vital and it's so necessary. It's not something we just add on. When we prayed as a congregation, we said, let's come together and pray together. Last Sunday, or a couple Sunday nights ago, we met in that little room because there were so few of us to pray. That should be a full boat, folks, praying for one another. And that may be your ministry as, as you, you, those of you who are growing in age and are less physical and less able to do the things that you used to do, you need to step up and be more effective in praying. That book that uh, Louise handed out the other night, Praying the Scriptures, if you didn't get one, there's still some on the, uh, the book rack in the back. There, on page 56 of that book, there's a, it's a discussion of how you're praying along with the Scriptures. And the example that's used in that text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where we are in our scripture study right now. So if you take that and read that, you'll see how you can pray through that. It's a useful tool, it's helpful, and I encourage you to look at it. Prayer is, is just part of that. But what is, it, what is it that you're doing? And if you're not doing anything in a way that's loving one another, in encouraging one another, and in being involved in each other's sanctification, then you're not working a proper working. It's every joint, everyone who is a member involved in this activity. This is what we do. What else are you doing? It doesn't matter. This is what matters. This is what's important. Loving one another. There's no, you go through the commands that Jesus gave that night, and there's not a bunch of others in there. In fact, there's none. Love one another just as I have loved you. That's the command. And we do that by growing each other in sanctification. That's the priority. And when you get distracted, when I get distracted by other things, which is easily done, we need to grab each other and pull each other aside and say, hey, I think 
correct me if I'm wrong, seems like you might be distracted. My response will probably be, yeah, you're right. I am, let's pray. We need to pray. We need to give me scripture. Remind me of truth. Give me what's necessary in order for me to walk in that truth. The proper working of each individual part. But you can see what the focus is, is that we're focusing on the sanctification of one another. And so the prayer that I prayed when we started is the prayer that I'll pray now as we close. And that is the prayer in 1 Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9. Because it's what we're talking about here. This is a wonderful prayer from Paul. He's praying for the Colossians. He hasn't met them, but he knows that they're a church who loves Christ and God, and, and he wants to pray a prayer that will make them effective as a church in Christ. So he prays in verse 9 that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Colossians 1.9. That's what Luis mentioned last week. That's that intake. You're growing in the knowledge of God. That's an ongoing process. You don't, I have knowledge of God, I'm done. I'm always increasing in my knowledge of God. I pray that you would understand, that you would be filled, be, be being filled with the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's intake. So you're reading the scriptures, you're hearing the scriptures, you're meditating on the scriptures, you're memorizing the scriptures, you're hearing other sermons, you're hearing uh, a, a other spiritual truths that are biblically based so that you are increasing in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that, verse 10 starts with a so that, if you have that knowledge, you will walk, you will live, you will make choices in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's in his name. That's abiding in Christ. You will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him. To please him in all respects. To please him in all respects. That's another Bible study on pleasing God. You can look up the word please, pleasing, pleased, and see how God has uh, defined what pleases him in the scriptures. It's a real good Bible study. I recommend it. We're not going to go there now, but that's what happens when we're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. We please him in all respects. And how does that look? Look at the next part. Bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. Jesus in Titus is called, he comes and he, he provides for himself a people of his own zealous for good deeds. That's the activity of love for one another. What kind of love? Love that increases our sanctification, our growth in Christ. This is different than the love of, I want you to be comfortable. I want you to not have problems. I want you to not experience difficulty. That's not what this love is. This love is, in the midst of your difficulty, I want you to know more about Christ. I want you to lean more on Christ. I want you to experience the reality of Christ in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through. That's the love that Christ gave. You remember the example, I've said it before, but again, I don't apologize for repeating. When Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for permission to sift you like wheat. And you got to, if you're Peter, thinking, yeah, but you're not going to let that happen, right, Lord? And, Peter, and then Jesus says, but I prayed for you. I prayed for you. I prayed that after this happens, you'll be able to come back and strengthen your brothers. What did the Lord say? He got permission to sift you like wheat, and he's going to. Peter experienced that. That was the love of God. That was the love of Christ. 
because Peter grew, and now we have 1 Peter, one of the most wonderful documents that tells us how to get through difficult and suffering times from a man who was sifted like wheat, bearing fruit in every good work, and, and then look, a repeat, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is what happens as we encourage one another, as we do these good deeds and love one another, as we experience the reality of being worthy of the, of the name of the Lord, all of these things increase our knowledge of God. He discloses him to, himself to us through our own obedience to him. And so we're continuing again, increasing in the knowledge of God. Then verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It's a nice phrase. It's, it's comfortable. I like to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. But if you're strong for no reason, what's the point? This strength is for something else. It's for attaining of all perseverance and patience. When do you need perseverance and patience? When you're going through struggles. Right? Help me persevere through this chocolate cream cake. You know. <laughs> Don't need perseverance for that, right? Perseverance is something because there's a struggle. Patience is something because it's a struggle. People who are difficult, I need the strength to get through that, and that's what he's praying for them. You're going to have difficult circumstances, and you're going to have difficult people, and I pray that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all perseverance and patience. And if you're experiencing the reality of that, it says joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Glory. Glory to God and glory in this prayer. This is a prayer that we can continually pray for one another. I would, you want to pray for me? This is a prayer to pray for me. I would appreciate that. But the reality uh, that I would hope for us to remember is that to love the way that Jesus loved, which isn't an option. He said, this I command you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Love one another just as I have loved you. The way that we saw that Jesus loved, and there's much more examples of that, is the way we love one another. But I would have you look and pay attention to the fact that there was no time where when Jesus was loving these men, he wasn't paying attention to their sanctification. That was his focus. That was the motive and the way that he loved. And if I'm going to love you, and if you're going to love me, that's what we're going to pay attention to. Are you growing in Christ? Are you learning more about who Christ is? Are you participating as a properly working part of this body in accomplishing the work of Christ? If you don't know what that is and you need help finding out what that is, ask somebody. But that's the description and the command that we were given. Let's pray. Father, no one loves like you do. No one understands how to love. You so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son. You so loved. You know how to love. And you demonstrate it to us. And we fall so short of being effective in loving the way that you do. But if we abide in you, if we seek you out, if we desire to be effective loving one another, this is something that you a prayer that you will always answer and you will accomplish this love by your name and by your power and by your spirit in each one of us. 
You are ready and quick to forgive us our frailties and our sins and to bring us to a place where we can be useful and effective to accomplish your purposes in sanctification. Lord, as a body, may we be very much aware of our own growth and of the growth of the rest of the members of this congregation, that we are focused on growing more and more to be like Christ, cheering for one another, encouraging one another, exhorting as necessary, but having those interactions that causes us to be focused where we're supposed to be focused, and that whatever we do in word or deed, we would do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We pay in his name, amen.